So now uh, you feel free to take your seats. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to um, a second installment in the sermon series that Nate began last week. The title of this entire series is Behold Your God, uh, which comes from the book of Isaiah. The Lord, uh, as was prayed just a few moments ago, uh, loves to display his glory, his character, his goodness before our eyes so that we might rejoice in him and tell others about his greatness. And so uh, today we're going to primarily be considering God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his eternity. So uh, we'll look to Psalm 139 for most of that. Uh, Our first two readings uh, are from Psalm 139, so Sarah and Krista will read those for us. And then we're going to consider how God experiences his knowledge in a different way than we do. Uh, So Lisa's going to read from Psalm chapter 90. And then we're going to just be reminded of a familiar truth by Kathy as she reads from Revelation 1.8, talking about God's eternity. So I hope the effect of these passages taken together will just be to remind us afresh that God knows everything. God is everywhere, always. So let's hear the reading of God's word. Psalm 139, 1-6. O Lord... You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Continuing in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 90, verse 1 through 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Revelation uh, 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do you know that God knows you? And do you live like a person who knows that God knows you? That might sound a little strange, but it's 
really quite different thing to acknowledge that God knows everything in general. I think that's a little bit easier for us to, to think about. It's quite another thing, though, to meditate on the fact that God specifically knows you inside and out. What does it mean to know that? What does it mean to feel that and to experience daily that God knows you personally and completely? That's what Psalm 139 is all about. O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. The Lord is acquainted with all your ways. The Lord sees the path of your life from start to finish. He sees when you are in seasons of walking beside still waters, walking beside green pastures. He's there when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's been along there with you every step of your life, guiding your path, and he's ahead of you now, preparing the path before you. And he doesn't just know you in an intellectual way. He doesn't just know facts and statistics about you. He, he understands all of your ways. He knows you deeply. He knows how you feel. He knows what you're going through emotionally. He knows what you're going through mentally and spiritually. He knows all of your ways. He is the Lord of your life story. And God doesn't just see the big picture of your life. He sees the moments of your life. He, he sees the movements of your day. He doesn't just think about you in general terms. He doesn't, he's not like a boss who does an annual performance review and just, yeah, well, that was your year. No, you don't just pop up on his radar like a few keywords in a social media post flag an internet sensor. No, he sees all of your moments, all of your days, all of your steps. Though you might take 10,000 steps today, the Lord remembers every single one. He's done that every single day of your life. He remembers your steps. He sees you when you're full of energy, and he sees you when you're worn out. He sees you when you go to bed on time. He sees you when you stay up late. He sees you when you toss and turn in a sleepless night. He sees you when you wake up early with your kids. He's right there with you. He's right there with you every day. And I love the description of how God is with us in verse 4. I'm sorry, uh, verse 5. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The hand of God rests upon you every day. And this, this really calls to mind uh, parts of my work life. I'm a physical therapist and I care for a fair number of people who have difficulty with their balance. And to help them to get better, I need to challenge them. I need to push them outside their comfort zone. But I need to do that safely. And sometimes to reassure them as I'm having them do something difficult and to, to have a very close connection to how they're doing safety-wise, I will lay my hand on them. They cannot falter, they cannot hesitate without me instantly knowing that. I'm not just watching them, I'm touching them. 
And that's a picture of God's care for you. You spend your day every day with God in the room with you, with his hand resting on you. You cannot stumble, you cannot falter, you cannot hesitate without the instant, complete knowledge of God. He is less than an arm's length away every moment of every day. Now God hems you in, it says, right? You hem me in. That means his presence is unavoidable. He is there around you. He surrounds you. He's got you surrounded. He doesn't just know your ways and your steps. He also knows your words and he knows your heart. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. Now, on average, some estimates think that we humans say about 16,000 words a day. God remembers everyone from now till the time you spoke your first word. Every word you've ever spoken is known by God. He also knows the words you chose not to speak. The things that were on the tip of your tongue and you held back. Even before a word is on your lips, he knows it completely. And we know that since out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks, that means that God knows our hearts. God knows the motivations that cause you to speak. God knows the desires and the dreams and the hopes and the fears that motivate you. Jeremiah 17.10 says it this way, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Only God can do that. Only God can look into the heart and know to the depths of our souls who we are and what makes us tick. He's the Lord of your heart and he's the Lord of your life story. And the psalmist anticipates a really important question. He essentially asks, he says, what if you don't know yourself? What if you lack insight into what's motivating you? What if you are deeply confused? What what if spiritual and emotional darkness descend on your soul and you can't see the way out? Does that hinder God's sight? Does that obscure God's view? No, not at all. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Verse 12, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The darkness of our confusion is not dark to God's sight. His eyes pierce through any confusion. God sees, even when our experiences and our perceptions of darkness cloud our sights. God's sight is still perfect. The truth of who you are and why you exist and where you are going is crystal clear to God, bright as day. And think about the implications here. God can see what we cannot see. The fog of mental illness itself is not fuzzy to God. The shadows of dementia are not dim to God's sight. 
the, the manic thoughts and feelings of a person with schizophrenia are unraveled before the eyes of God. The complicated psychoses of mental illness are clear before the sight of God who knows everything. And this knowledge that God has is, is, is easy. It's simple for him. He knows at a glance. All he needs is, is a moment, and he sees us through and through. And this, this is testified to in a, a profound way in this psalm as, as we consider that God made us. God knows us in part because he simply made us. Verse 13 You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. That is amazing. God knows you because he made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He was guiding your development. He started with one cell, and he caused that to multiply and take shape and form into, by nine months, 26 billion cells of a living human being. He was like a master weaver working with microscopic biological threads. He was shuttling the strands of your DNA together. He was combining strings of proteins, shaping your fingers and giving you your unique fingerprints, your unique facial features. He was giving you your personality traits and your pet peeves, your strengths and your weaknesses and your quirks. Who you are today, everything that makes you you, was masterfully woven together in secret by God, and he started before your mom even knew she was expecting you. God is Lord of your life story. He's Lord of your heart, and he's Lord of your molecules. Verse 16 continues, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So long before a single sunrise could light your world, long before a single sunset could darken an evening for you, God planned every one of your days. Not just theoretically, not kind of like a trajectory. Uh, He didn't just compute some expectations. No, week after week, one day at a time. Month after month, one day at a time. Year after year, decade after decade, one day at a time, not just planned, but recorded in God's plan for your life. God planned it before you were born. He willed it before your ancestors migrated to this continent. This moment right now today has been God's plan for you since before the dawn of time. He's done this for not just us here, for all of the seven plus billion people alive on the planet right now, and for those who have lived throughout every age, every day, every step, every word, every moment, known and planned by an omniscient God. There's no human equivalent for that kind of knowledge. There's no therapist, no 
neuroscientist, no brain surgeon who can do more than just scratch the surface of comprehending how your brain is working, let alone your eternal soul. But God does that in a moment for all of us, for all time. So let's be a humble people. We have a lot of information available to us in this particular age. Let's be a humble people. You know, our, our ability to research on the internet is nothing compared to the knowledge of God. So let's take information in humbly before the all-seeing eyes of God. Now this knowledge has no ending. The distance that God's eagle eyes can reach knows no limitations. The psalmist asks some rhetorical questions to consider the limits of God's sight, the limits of God's presence. He asks in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The hand of God holds his people no matter where they are. The hand of God leads his people no matter where they are. There is nowhere you can go outside the Spirit of God. There's no place you can flee apart from the presence of God. If you rise to the heaven of heavens, he's already there. If you sink to the place of the dead, he's already there. The universe itself cannot contain the borders of God's existence because there are no borders. If you could travel to the most distant reaches of the galaxy, the edges of what God has created, planets and galaxies and black holes and nebula, millions of light years away, they, they would come to an end at some point, but the presence of God would continue undiluted, unabated, unobstructed. There is no end to the presence of God. The universe itself cannot contain him. Rather, he contains the universe in his unlimited presence. Even the depths of the earth, the deepest places, the deepest minds, the deepest places under the sea, God is there fully present in all his wisdom and his knowledge. There's no place on earth, there's no place in the universe where you can escape the full wisdom and power and presence and might of our unlimited God. His knowledge and his presence are unsearchable. Our minds are, are incapable of following God into the riches and the depths of his unlimited thoughts. And yet, as we consider these heights, there's still much more that can be said. You need to know that God's Access to all of that knowledge is different from our view of our knowledge. In Psalm 90, verse 4, we heard read says this about God's knowledge. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, 
or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night was three or four hours. So what God is saying is, I look out over the ages. I look out over thousands of years and I see it as clearly as you remember your breakfast this morning. I see a thousand years ago as clearly as you remember the events of your day yesterday. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He always was. He always is. He always will be. Before there was time, there was God, and God possessed perfect knowledge before there was time. And time itself, the passing of time itself, has no effect on God's knowledge. It does not add to God's knowledge. It does not detract from God's knowledge. Both occur with your knowledge, but they do not occur with God's knowledge. Our memories fade as time passes. What did you do a decade ago on this day, April 3rd, I don't know, you, you don't, probably don't remember, uh, God's memories do not fade as the ages transpire. His knowledge is unchanged. And we learn and we grow and we, you know more than you did 10 years ago. You've had more experiences, you've had more training perhaps, you've had more knowledge. God does not experience his understanding in the same way. The passing of time does not add to God's knowledge. It does not make him more intelligent. It does not give him more experience. No, God's perfect knowledge always was and always will be. The passing of time has no effect on God's knowledge. Just consider what was happening on the earth a thousand years ago. The Chinese people were inventing gunpowder, woodblock printing, Pretty amazing technology back then. Uh, the Vikings were attacking um, England. You know, uh, there, was, there was conflict in England because of the Vikings. Leif Erikson is believed to have sailed to North America back then. So that was a very amazing transcontinental voyage. So all that, that just feels like ancient history, right? Like we've got no connection. I don't know the people or their lives back then. God remembers that as if it were a couple minutes ago. That's just completely laid bare before the perfect sight and the perfect knowledge of God. He knows every one of their names, every one of their stories, every one of their steps, every one of their words. He planned every one of their days. God sees, God remembers, God knows. And every moment of our days will be present in God's knowledge for all time. Peter picks up on Psalm 90 and turns the, the thought that we considered around both backwards and forwards. So 2 Peter 3.8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So it works both ways. A thousand years ago, that's like yesterday to God. And what that really means is all time is present to God, right? But the reverse is true. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. So not only are the distant events present to God at this moment, but so this day, today, is so present to God's gaze, so clear to God's vision, that it's as if it were a millennium. April 3rd, 2022, a thousand years to God. God can scrutinize your day with infinite 
clarity, at an infinite level of specificity. The, the events of this day are eternally present to the one who is and who was and is to come. Now listen, none of that, none of that is good news for unforgiven sinners. That is terrible news if your sins are not forgiven before a holy God, if you stand guilty before God's eternal, perfect sight, should tremble, should tremble. You've never been alone. There is not a moment of your life that you've ever been alone. You have never been hidden from God's sight. Never. There's never been a moment of your life when you have been hidden from the perfect sight of God. He sees it Right now, Hebrews 4.13 expresses it this way, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Listen, there are sins that you committed decades ago that you've forgotten about. God sees them right now with perfect clarity. There are sins that you are even at this moment just blissfully ignorant about. <laughs> God's got them recorded And he's going to call you to account for them, even though you are ignorant on the last day. But they're not just relevant on that last day, they're relevant today. Think about this. Because God is outside time, when did your sin begin to grieve him? I'm so indebted to Wayne Grudem for this question. When does your sin begin to grieve the heart of God? The one whose vision is eternal the one who saw your days since before time began. There's really no beginning to the grief that our sin begins to to place on God's heart. He sees all. Your sin today can offend God now, has potential to have never started offending God and continue offending God to all eternity. This is a terrifying thought. It helps us understand how serious God is about judging sin. But, despite that fact, remember, today is another day of God's patience. Today is a day in which God says, I see everything, I've always seen everything, and yet I freely offer you forgiveness. Freely. Come and be forgiven. Today is a day that you can just agree with God and say, yes, I've been at war with you, God. I've ignored you. I wished you were dead. You can surrender your weapons of pride and anger and selfishness. You can just bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an opportunity we have right now, but I can't promise you'll get that opportunity tomorrow. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to respond to God. And God can sweep away every sin with the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the punishment that God had reserved for the sins of his people for all time, and they were laid upon him. Now listen, there's no solace for a guilty conscience outside of Christ. There's nowhere to feel absolution outside of Jesus. You can't run away from God's sight. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. There's one, one choice. 
turn to him in repentance of faith. If you haven't done that, would you please do that today? You can talk to me. You can talk to our elders. You can talk to any of our members. There's nothing more important than taking your sin to God in Christ. And I believe that many of you have done just that. Hallelujah. You've looked to God in faith and you've agreed with him. You said, yes, you're right. I am guilty. I have lived in opposition to you. You've asked him to forgive you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he, he, he drank the cup of God's wrath to the last drop, and because he said, it is finished, God can look at you in all your sins and he can say, yes, I forgive you. Those are costly words for God to say to you. Those are costly words. Three costly words. I forgive you. And God freely has spoken that over his children. Listen, how could God forgive you if he didn't know you? He has to know your every sin to wash them away. And he does. He does. God doesn't just forgive your sin like this kind of big ball of tangled yarn. Eh, let's throw that in the trash. No, he says, I forgive you for your lust and I forgive you for your anger and I forgive you for your selfishness and I forgive you for your gluttony and I forgive you for your laziness and I forgive you for everything. He sees He knows and he forgives. And if God has forgiven you, beloved, then you are safe. You are safe in his forgiveness. Listen, your your indwelling sin may throw surprises. It may throw wrenches in the works. It may cause you to stumble. It may cause you to, to need to ask for forgiveness again on a daily basis. But that does not surprise God. God knew what he was signing up for when he said those three costly words, I forgive you. He knew what he was signing up for, and he did it anyway, joyfully, willingly, gloriously. His forgiveness is amazing because he knew what it would cost. As a son or a daughter of God, To be completely known is to be completely forgiven. And to be completely known is to be completely within God's care. Listen, no virus can invade your body without God's knowledge. No cancer can grow in your body, the body that God made for you, without God's knowledge, apart from God's will, No dementia can fall upon your brain. No stroke can take away one side of your body's movement apart from God's knowledge, apart from God's plan for your days. Listen, even danger and illness and a season of suffering is not just seen by your Heavenly Father. It's planned by your Heavenly Father to make you more Like Jesus, God sees, God knows, God is at work. And so let me just ask you, are you living like that? Sisters, are you living like women who 
are completely known and completely forgiven by God. Brothers, are you living like men who are completely known and completely forgiven by God? Are you aware of the gaze of God on your every moment? Can you feel the gentle hand of God resting on your shoulder every day? If you do, if you can, just one reminder, then your conduct will be consistent no matter where you are. When you're here with church people, when you're home alone, when you're with your neighbors, when you're with your coworkers, when you're with your classmates, your conduct will be consistent because the eye of God never leaves you and the hand of God never leaves you. Is there a difference in your conduct where you, when you are in different situations? What does it look like when, nobody, when no human eyes are watching you? Let me ask you a question that, that I've needed help with for many years. What does, what does it look like for you to use electronic devices when no, one, when no humans are looking at you? Do you honor God in the private use of your cell phone or your laptop? Are you pretending that clearing your search history will clear your guilt before the all-seeing eyes of God? Because it won't. It won't. What do you mutter under your breath too quietly for anyone else to hear? I'm ashamed to say at work when people do things that harm me, when people, when coworkers make my life miserable for a few minutes, sometimes I mutter curses under my breath. Should not be. God hears me. That has sobered me this week. God knows even the thoughts in my heart of anger towards my coworkers who don't give me what I want. God hears you too. Would you change your use of time if God were physically present in the room? Because he is. (laughs) Listen, there's no such thing as a secret sin. There's no such thing as a secret sin. Don't pretend you can get away with anything. Take that to the Lord. I recommend you take that to a brother or sister you can trust. That's been a great grace in my life. Don't pretend you can get away with anything. This is how the psalmist responded to these truths. There are multiple responses, but let's let's leave as the psalmist left in verses 23 and 24. Remember, we started out. Let's let's actually just look at verse 1. Lord, you have searched me and known me. That's where we started. And now this is the heart of one who lives in that way, understanding that God knows us and sees us. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. It's an invitation. Lord, do what you do. (laughs) I know you're already doing it, Lord. I agree with you. I I cooperate with you. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God has already searched you and known you. you. Will you embrace that? Will you acknowledge his omniscience? Will you embrace his eternal gaze over your life? Will you submit to his rightful rule? Will you ask him to cleanse your heart and your life from grievous ways? 
That's what the life of faith looks like in response to the all-seeing eye of God, our Heavenly Father. Let's, let's respond in prayer now. Don't you want to pray? Let's pray that our Heavenly Father will help us. He wants to do that. That's why He's given us His Word to consider. So let's just pray prayers now of response. That might be prayers of uh, repentance and contrition. That might be prayers of petition, asking God to move, take action on our behalf and the behalf of others around us and across the world. So I'll just lead us in prayer now, and then I'll ask you to join me by responding in prayer. So Lord, we acknowledge your eye is upon us. Lord, we agree that your hand is upon us. And Lord, we are so thankful that your forgiveness is as comprehensive as your sight. Praise you, God, that your forgiveness is as sweeping and inclusive as your sight of our sins. Lord, thank you for not looking on your people in relation to their sin. Thank you for not looking at our sin in relation to us. But God, thank you for seeing Jesus when you look at us and his righteousness and his beauty and his perfection and his obedience and his holiness. It's so good, God, that when you look at your people, you choose to see Jesus. And so, Lord, I do confess to you my anger at work when I don't get what I want, when people mess things up and make my day harder. Lord God, I I want to speak angry words, Lord, that don't acknowledge your lordship over my tongue. And Lord, though nobody hears that, I know that you have seen it, you have heard it, and I am wrong. I'm sorry for speaking and thinking angry thoughts. God, would you please forgive me and everyone like me who has spoken in anger or who has thought angry thoughts, Lord God, before your sight. Lord, hear us now as we pray together. In Jesus' name, we ask for your help.